0: Hello and welcome, I'm your host Alex Housen and this is Write Medicine, a bi-weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. Who's Alex, I hear you asking? I'm a former nurse, and academic, who's now a writer and researcher who creates and evaluates education content for health professionals and teaches medical writers how to enrich their continuing medical education writing niche. If your work involves planning, designing, delivering, or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. Multidisciplinary education has expanded in the last decade or so as a way to ensure that healthcare teams cooperate, coordinate care, and communicate to make care more patient centered, continuous, and reliable. On this episode of Right Medicine, I talk with Lorna Lucas, a healthcare education professional and advocate for equitable healthcare, about the role of multidisciplinary education in improving patient outcomes. We talk about the challenges in delivering and evaluating multidisciplinary education and interventions that emerged during the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic to support both professionals and patients. Join us. I want to jump in here quickly before we get started on this episode. In response to the many questions I get about writing needs assessments, I'm offering a four-week hands-on workshop on writing needs assessments that's designed to support deliberate practice with expert feedback. Where and when is this happening? On Mondays at 12 noon Pacific time from October the 31st to November the 21st. Let me know if you have questions and when you're ready to register, you can do so via a link in the show notes where you'll also find more information about what to expect for each week of this workshop.
1: This episode of Right Medicine is sponsored by CME Palooza, the bestest, wittiest and freest online conference for CME professionals. CME Palooza Fall is happening on Wednesday, October 19th, with a full day of innovative education on a variety of topics you won't see discussed anywhere else. Check out all of the information at cmepalooza.com.
0: Hello and welcome to Right Medicine. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and I'm here today with Lorna Lucas. Welcome, Lorna.
1: Hi, thanks so much, Alex. It's great to be here.
0: It's good to see you. So, you know, I like to start by asking people to tell us a little bit about who you are and your background in education for health professionals.
1: Absolutely. Well, I am so excited to speak with you today. And like so many talented professionals in this space and arena, It's kind of been such a whirlwind and such a journey to to be here and to become a professional healthcare educator. So, you know, it's it's funny. I always had wanted to be involved in healthcare. I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. You know, in high school, I worked at a physical therapy office. But then I started to realize that if I wanted to be a physician, (laughs) I would have to maybe, I don't know, deal with cadavers and things that I was not probably going to be able to handle very well. And so coming from a family with a long history of being in the healthcare space, I knew that there were other ways that I could probably contribute to healthcare and education. So it kind of found me, I think, through the years and really focusing on, you know, how do you organize, how do you build around ideas and concepts to really help the cancer care team in this case. And so, you know, through the years, I was involved in various medical organizations. And it was always kind of going back to how do you create and develop education that is meeting the learners where they are, and, you know, developing education that's real world for them. So that's kind of where I've been and through the past Oh, goodness. Almost 12 years now, I've been involved in some capacity of working together with the amazing healthcare professionals, most recently in the oncology space, but really working together hand in hand to identify where there's gaps in education and to really develop those methods and and models for education that truly does tap into what they need at the moment and look at the patient journey is really the guide for how to develop that type of education to support the healthcare professionals. So at the end of the day, it's always keeping the patient centered. And I am just so honored and thrilled that I've had the opportunity to work with so many healthcare professionals along the way.
0: And you have worked with a range of healthcare professionals. And it's interesting when you were talking about you know, really kind of zeroing in on developing education for health professionals where they need it and, and what they need. I was thinking I trained as a nurse decades ago and education was not like that. It was very much a kind of rigid curriculum. And I can remember many of us thinking at the time, this doesn't really reflect what we're doing in the clinical space. And so, you know, it's interesting just to kind of be mindful of, you know, how much has changed over the last few decades Absolutely. Now, you've worked with different kinds of healthcare professionals, including gastroenterologists and mm-hmm. oncologists. Can you talk a little bit about developing education that has a kind of multidisciplinary spirit and uh, how that fits into the overall approach to improving patient outcomes?
1: Absolutely. So yes, several moons ago, I used to work with the American Gastroenterological Association. And there was a wonderful little conference, I say a little sarcastically, called Digestive Disease Week, which is still thriving and, and it's a wonderful conference. And it actually convenes the membership of four societies that all focus on different disciplines involved in GI care. And what is so magical about that type of education and and building that content was realizing that it really is a team approach we can't just focus on just one discipline and what they're going through or what their needs are as far as education but really looking holistically at the the team dynamic and again at the team for the patient care and what their experience is going to be like and truly aiming for that coordination Is so important because it's great to have everyone performing at the top of their license and their medical discipline. However, there's so much kind of in between the cracks that's needed for that coordinated care. Um, So that was really my first foray into realizing that we need to look beyond just one discipline at a time, but truly build that comprehensive education that really brings into consideration all of the different disciplines and where along that patient care journey they're involved or touching a patient. So that was really eye opening for me. I I truly again just really loved working with the different professionals and disciplines that are involved in patient care. And I just wanted to note cuz you had mentioned obviously your path Alex as a nurse, there are so many clinicians and non-clinicians that go into these care teams and Have such critical roles, and uh, so that's definitely where I kind of got first sampling of what multidisciplinary education can really look like, Mm -hmm. and have been able to really kind of focus and own in on that through the years.
0: I wanted to touch on, you know, we're talking about multidisciplinary education. What do you see as the differences between multidisciplinary education and interdisciplinary education? Because I, I certainly hear, you know. People use those terms interchangeably, but then there are a lot of people who argue there are some very distinct differences between the two terms because you can educate a lot of different health professionals about the same topic but not necessarily in a way that allows them to work as a multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary team. So could you speak to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. And I think this is such a great topic that I know there's been a lot of great research on, too, through the years. You know, typically we—I've been using the term multidisciplinary because we want to be able to develop education that really, you know, hits a nail on the head for specific disciplines and and what resonates with them. But I truly think what we're always aiming for and striving for is interdisciplinary education. So instead of having high quality education specific for their disciplinary roles, I think what we really want to do is look more at the interdisciplinary of how it's integrated. So how the roles Mm. truly complement each other and are integrated. So really, instead of just breaking down into kind of barriers or siloed roles and education, I, I really do hope and I do think that we're getting there, that there is a lot more education being built around that coordinated effort And from my most recent experience working with the Association of Community Cancer Centers, we did focus a lot on more of that kind of integrated experience in education, um, specifically in a lot of the infrastructural pieces that are so important to be able Mm -hmm. to provide high quality care. So a lot of quality improvement initiatives, process improvement initiatives. They can be educational and have interventions that are multidisciplinary in nature. But at the end of the day, the outcome we're really looking for is to have that interdisciplinary approach to the education. So it's a work in progress, I feel. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're really looking for is the interdisciplinary.
0: And some of that's the in between the cracks stuff that you exactly. that you kind of flagged up earlier. Do you have any examples of education that you you've contributed to that you've helped to you know design and implement that really uh, manages that in bec- in between the cracks stuff that can be so Absolutely. frustrating for you know members right. of the healthcare team.
1: Absolutely, I think those kind of in between the cracks kind of barriers (laughs) and challenges are so pervasive, but are are often the the most challenging to really get at. So I think it all really starts with first off having the space that and the champion behind supporting even looking at something that might be a little bit more not like non clinical in nature. So having the support to look at even a topic or any issues that they might be having. Again, I I bring up operational because we had found that that was a lot of the challenges that were preventing providers and healthcare professionals from being able to give the patient the best time, attention, and best outcomes. So, you know, a lot of the times it can be things that are just a process or a workflow or a physicality issue within a building or within the cancer program or the clinic. But it all, I'll back up again, it all starts with really having a champion, sometimes in the administrative space too, which is again, why Mm -hmm. it's so important to bring in the voices and perspectives from the entire care team. And I think it's important to note that oftentimes is the administrative professionals as well. But to really be able to have that space carved out, to look at what are those challenges? What is even a problem you're having? Sometimes clinicians we know are so busy, they don't even have the time to pause and reflect and say, well, you know, I've been having this issue with this flagging thing in the EHR how do I get around? How do do we fix this? How do we streamline this? You know, I'm trying to order a molecular test for a patient, but I keep getting this error, or this flag in the system. You know, so those are things that might be minor, but We need to address them because we need everyone to be able to, again, deliver the best quality of care in such a timely manner since there's so many competing priorities. So a lot of the education, I think, that's in between the cracks really revolves around some of those administrative challenges, things that just need some time and attention, and really need a a strong game plan to formulate what are some solutions, how do we do this as a team, and so much of that goes back to then understanding the roles on a multidisciplinary team, respecting the roles on the multidisciplinary team, and coming up with those collective solutions together to make sure it's feasible and it works for everyone's role in mind examples we've seen over the years have been some kind of process improvement exercises that we've done to really look at what is the whole flow for something like ordering a molecular test for a patient whose outcomes will probably be improved if they have access to precision medicine. But it all starts with the testing. So where do we create those synergies and create that nice flow that really respects everyone's role on the team. And at the end of the day, then results in better outcomes and care for patients. So yes, I'm a strong believer in paying attention to the the things that are in the cracks. And in my experience, a lot of that has been very administrative or project management even Mm -hmm. uh, kind of you know, principles and things that need to be addressed to make sure that everyone's functioning the best they can. And a lot of that, too, is education and different interventions that we can develop
0: along the way, too. So all of that sounds like a very proactive role for education organizations to take in, in really doing the background research to figure out what a particular healthcare setting or organization looks like, what the roles and responsibilities are. And I know that some education providers might shy away from that because that's a lot of, that's a lot of organizational and change management <laughs> work. Can you talk a little bit about how education providers such as C approach the kind of question of identifying what are the things that we need to look at and be aware of, you know, operationally or strategically or in terms of roles and responsibilities within a given healthcare context you know how do you start that process how do you identify a challenge that education is a suitable intervention to be part of the solution
1: well i think as a as a healthcare educator i want to say well the answer and the solution is always more education right <laughs> I think in this case it's just so important to always start off with really convening again all of the voices, all of the perspectives, anyone that has a role and really elevating to make sure that they they feel heard. So a Pretty much everything that we embark on or have embarked on when it comes to building out potential educational interventions always starts with some level of kind of a needs assessment, right? I think we're all very familiar with kind of the building blocks to building any type of education. However, in this era of the implications and challenges that COVID-19 has just exacerbated, right? It's just opened up such a can of worms. I think more than ever, it's so important to start off by by truly listening to Mm -hmm. the multidisciplinary voices. So again, you're not just getting perspective from one discipline and you're not just focusing on just one angle of education, but again, looking at that sweet spot of how do we bring in something that can really suit and fit the needs of everyone. So we've had a lot of success in the past of, of doing different styled focus groups, different interviews, a different kind of supportive what we called coffee chats when we were supporting our president's theme work. So really hearing directly from the membership. And I, I will say I think there's so much power in it being informal too, right? We don't want to create a stigma that we're looking to have a very necessarily clinical edge or just it has to be, you know, that we're not looking at guidelines per se, but we want to make sure that we're looking again at that comprehensive kind of wraparound education. And so that really is important to kind of probe and then sit back and listen to all of the perspectives and really everyone that's involved. And at the end of the day, not giving weight to one voice or one discipline over another, but truly looking at how do we create an equitable process for our education as well.
0: And it's often in those listening moments where you hear a little bit more about what's happening at the margins and what's happening kind of in between the the cracks as people get more and more comfortable talking and sharing their perspectives and their experiences with you. then they're probably more likely to tell you some of the things that they feel are important to them that they don't necessarily see as an organizational or Mm -hmm. workflow or team issue. But in that listening moment, it turns out, aha, yeah, actually I have that problem too. (laughs) And, and, And so you, you kind of build up your data from the, the, the ground up. You talked a little bit about the pandemic and the way that, the pandemic has changed a lot of lives and the way that healthcare is mm-hmm. delivered, especially in oncology. Mm-hmm. What kind of intervention, and you mentioned the president's theme as well, can you talk a little bit about some of the interventions that you have been involved in to support both health professionals and patients in the last couple of years? Because it seems to me those, those have grown very much from mm-hmm. deep listening.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, the pandemic has really shifted the landscape of of healthcare in general. And then specifically really looking at oncology, you know, I'm sure there's going to be longitudinal research for a very long time to really look at the effects of, of the pandemic. And of course, trying to stay optimistic and look on the bright side, I think there's been a lot of really great advancements that have been accelerated, inpatient care, which, you know, telehealth, different kind of opening up, you know, and getting rid of some red tape and things like clinical trial access and things of that nature that we really hope can, you know, hopefully sustain and that can be tweaked through the, through the years. So I think on the upside, there's a lot of positives that hopefully will come from how we kind of reconfigured how we deliver care and how we deliver education and how we address a lot of those issues that will be feeling for years to come because of the pandemic and the effect on, of course, patients, but we cannot ignore the effect on healthcare providers. So yes, very big, a topic that I'm sure will be explored for years to come. But yes, yeah, some of the kind of ways that we addressed some of the issues and gaps that we presenting due to the pandemic, we, we really wanted to focus on the membership of ACCC, which again, is the multidisciplinary oncology care team. And the first and foremost, we have to look at the well-being of the providers. I mean, what was being asked and still being asked in many cases is just so strenuous. There's a lot of stressors, a lot of challenges that they're facing. You know, there were already burdens on the healthcare system well before. And now, of course, that has completely opened up so much more for healthcare providers as well as patients. So specifically in cancer we really wanted to understand what does the landscape look like? What are going to be those immediate needs and then what are probably going to be some long-term needs that will need to be addressed through education incrementally for years to come. And so the first one was really the well-being of the healthcare providers. So we definitely, you know, as soon as the pandemic was ramping up um We got to work. We did a lot of kind of urgent, immediate education kind of interventions, a lot of peer-to-peer, right? Especially in the beginning of the pandemic, we had members from Seattle who kind of went through it first, the first wave. They were getting on different kind of peer-to-peer calls, webinars, town halls to say, how do we immediately address These issues. So that call to action in the first days of the pandemic, I think was really inspiring because it really just mobilized, I think, healthcare providers, regardless of what, where they provided care or which discipline they represented. It it truly mobilized. And I think in oncology, even strengthened the team approach even more because there were oftentimes that perhaps maybe a nurse who typically delivered chemo infusions might have been called out to triage the ER right in the early days or even provide the monoclonal antibody treatments because it's a similar <laughs> similar infusion to chemo. So knowing that in mind, we needed as healthcare educators, we needed to understand what the membership and the learners were going through because we couldn't address their educational needs in that moment unless we were aware of everything that they were going through. So staying in touch and being in touch with everything the healthcare providers were going through was really paramount for us to then really craft and uh, develop kind of an education program. We were very fortunate through the pandemic to be led by Krista Nelson at ACCC. She is an amazing person. And secondly, she's an oncology social worker who just, oh my gosh, if you're ever going to go through a pandemic, Krista really did an amazing job navigating those challenges and just being such a rock for the membership in that time. So again, that's where the psychosocial element of support for healthcare providers is so important and should be a theme and a thread carried forward indefinitely. And we see that as a growing field as well and and place for education. And I, I would say, you know, secondly, just really looking at health equity and access. Again, I think the pandemic really showed everyone maybe where the existing disparities and inequalities were already, but then with the pandemic, so many other things became very visible. And I think with that has renewed a sense of we need to address this as healthcare providers and as a, really as a country. And the pandemic has just, I think, accelerated that. So that's also another element, really, really important and critical to developing healthcare education for providers is truly understanding the communities they serve, understanding all of the challenges, barriers, disparities, inequities that exist, and looking for trainings and education to help mitigate, to help improve those outcomes in the long run. And that's definitely not probably going to be solved overnight, but it's the fact that the awareness needs to be there and acknowledging that there are so many gaps and challenges and really taking the charge to incorporate into our education moving forward so that there should always be elements of looking at how we incorporate EDI into everything we do as healthcare educators, really understanding where the healthcare professionals are with their own psychosocial status and how we can support their And then that trickles down into how they can also provide more advanced psychosocial care to patients as well, patients and caregivers. Mm -hmm. So it's really very interconnected. And it truly is such an ecosystem that really is all based on that interdisciplinary education by then being able to address and hopefully, you know, move the needle in kind of all these challenges we know are facing, um, facing really society.
0: And being able to take that approach is, you know, is definitely or it sounds as though it's very much part of the value of a member association where you can kind of build up pretty solid data over time about who your members are and what they need. Can we talk a little bit about the kinds of education that you have found especially effective in addressing the needs of the multidisciplinary care team particularly in, mm-hmm. in oncology but in any of the other areas that you've worked in as well
1: absolutely and i think these are some lessons that can be applied across the board but i think especially through the education and work that a triple c embarked on it was really focused at how do you create access to education that can be applied regardless of the care setting, the structure of the cancer center, the community that they might be in. Is it a rural, urban setting? It's just so many different factors can obviously impact how care is delivered, and also how education can be absorbed in those situations. So, I think what is so important is is not building one size fits all education, but it's creating basically a model that could then be tweaked or tailored around what works best based on the available resources or right. the time or even the roles that are present there is no also there's no standard multidisciplinary oncology team right so when right. we're building education you know we need to build and keep that in mind that it needs to ebb and flow it needs to be flexible so really just having kind of the, the building blocks in place, but also the ability for that kind of model or educational intervention to be able to be applied regardless of how they are structured or how they are set up. So there is a lot of thought and process that goes into developing an educational program or resource or tool or intervention that could be applied at many different types of settings. Um, and again, with the pandemic, we definitely had to scale back a lot of the live in person education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was always kind of a a bright spot to be able to even go directly to the membership where they were, whether it was a conference, a regional meeting, a workshop. And so a lot of that had to be completely reconfigured, which everyone has done. And if we hear the word pivot, I think one more time, we (laughs) might we might just, you know, give up. But yeah. I think not only did we have to really look at the formats of how we were delivering and making sure it was realistic and feasible for multiple settings. We then found that again by listening to the membership that there are other ways that we can do it. So we definitely saw an increase in some of our education such as like an echo series which is a wonderful model okay. and format. Mm-hmm. We definitely learned that kind of some hybrid approaches to education was really well received, creating some learning kind of platforms and spaces that um, used different kind of mixed methodologies, whether it be some kind of online kind of cohort you know interaction with each other with a faculty member, but then some self-paced independent work. And then of course, we still went forward with a lot of our quality improvement initiatives. They were just pivoted over to the virtual format. And we actually found that there were a lot of benefits to really transitioning pretty much all the models of education we did to virtual settings because it really opened up the ability for even more members of the multidisciplinary team to participate Mm. and be active in the education. So, for example, if we did a virtual Workshop on learning about the latest and greatest treatments for non small cell lung cancer, stage three, stage four patients. Typically, we would probably have a handful of clinicians be able to participate live, right? Between their schedules, seeing patients in clinic. Realistically, it would probably be a very small group and they'd probably be coming and going. What we found by creating a very deliberate virtual schedule and agenda is we were able to tap into even other departments. We were able to involve the pathology department. They were located off-site at a different facility altogether. And by doing things virtually, we were actually able to convene and bring together more active participants and learners than if we had been live in person at mm-hmm. a cancer center. So I find that very powerful. And I think... You know, of course, there's downsides to everything being virtual, but we really needed to embrace that we can reach more people and we can truly create more of that even extended multidisciplinary team by having more of these kind of virtual collaborative
0: opportunities. Do you think that hybrid model is going to kind of be sustained, you know, looking forward?
1: I really hope so. I think. You know, again, we were all kind of forced into it in a way, but I think absolutely just the the value and the impact that we're seeing from being able to include more people and again, meet people where they are, what's convenient for them. There's already all those burdens we've talked about and variables and factors that are pressing on healthcare providers. And especially in oncology, there is a lot oftentimes because they might be generalists. They might be seeing patients that have many different types of cancer. And so when you're helping support a provider who is seeing patients across the whole oncology spectrum, we need it to be flexible and and definitely adaptable in the education we're providing because they Provides such flexible, adaptable care. And so that was really, really important. And I think it will continue to be enhanced, to be improved upon. But I think it's there. And I think the appetite and the interest, and everyone at least, I think, sees the value that this hybrid kind of educational components can really bring.
0: And looking forward, just to kind of wrap up, you know, you mentioned. Psychosocial education is an important part of overall education for the oncology team in particular, but other healthcare professionals as well. Where do you see education really needing to kind of focus its uh, attention to in order to better upskill health professionals in oncology and in other disciplines or specialties? I think there's so many
1: areas. I I think that's like a tricky one to really pinpoint. But I think in acknowledging and bringing forward that psychosocial has a place and that there is really truly a place for comprehensive care, and this doesn't even just apply to oncology, but really all of the healthcare professions. It's so important to look at the patient as a whole right we know that improved outcomes are going to be present if a patient is looked at more than just a patient or a case and so there really is so much education that can still be done not only to improve things in coordinated care such as psychosocial support and other supportive services but for the for the caregivers themselves, they need that support to be able to provide for the patient. They mm-hmm. need that education just as much. They're part of the care team. And then, of course, the providers themselves. I mean, this is just such a big area um, that I think just there isn't time. There isn't necessarily reimbursement available to be able to support that type of service or that type of education. So I think definitely looking for ways that the healthcare system can shed light on the importance of these more kind of comprehensive approaches to full care for the patient as well as the healthcare provider will hopefully, you know, be more of a priority in the future. And just understanding that everything is so interconnected. To have a health literate patient it all starts with the healthcare team and how they're communicating. How are they trained to be able to make sure that a patient is hearing and understanding and absorbing the information that they're providing? So, you know, that starts with something that might not have been taught in med school. Mm -hmm. And I think that really takes organizations and 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 professional educators to always be aware of those gaps and things that were maybe not taught in med school. But my goodness, they're very, very important elements to be able to provide really high quality patient care. And then that hopefully will tie into more shared decision making. That will tie into more equitable health care, more shared decision making when it comes to you know, making those decisions based upon the information that's provided. So that hopefully will go a long way in in dispelling some disparities along the way, too. So knowing that it's a journey, we we all know that this is going to be solved overnight. But really having, I think, dedicated healthcare educators focused on, again, a lot of these connectors in between the the typical, you know, education, healthcare education. So not really ever losing sight of those really important pieces that, in a nutshell, provide that coordinated care that the patient hopefully will receive.
0: And that comes back again to in between the cracks and how important it is to have a powerful light to shine into those spaces, because that's often where the gold is exactly. Arna Lucas, healthcare education professional and advocate for equitable healthcare. Thanks so much for sharing your insight and wisdom with listeners on Right Medicine.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. It's been a joy speaking with you.
0: We might think of multidisciplinary practice as disciplines with different goals working in parallel and interdisciplinary practice as collaboration between medical and other health specialties. Whichever term we're using, Lorna reminds us that listening to a range of perspectives and voices from multiple disciplines is key in designing education interventions that shine a light into the cracks that often threaten to derail care coordination and become an unbreachable chasm. Virtual education formats often enable a wider range of team members to participate in education, reach the extended multidisciplinary team and offer a flexible, adaptive approach that fosters flexible, adaptive care. Listening widely can also help education providers to identify strategies that drive more equitable outcomes for both health professionals and patients. This listening during early years of the pandemic mobilized a rapid psychosocial response to support oncology provider wellbeing in ways that also strengthen ties among oncology team members. Lorna reminds us that these ties between different disciplines and team members are so important and form a fabric that holds health professionals together and connects them with the communities they serve. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, I'd love to hear what you think about this episode and the podcast in general. Which topics would you like to hear more about and who would you like to hear from? You can email me, write a podcast review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. And you can also use SpeakPipe direct from the podcast page on my website. And if you haven't yet joined the Right Medicine community, there's a link to join in the show notes. And as a thank you, you'll receive downloadable bonus content from podcast episodes. Until next time, I'm Alex Housen and this is Right Medicine.